Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat. It is Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern time and the transfer portal window has closed until May 1st, but uh, we will get to that in a little bit later. A full recap of the transfer portal, some of the most significant transfers, some of the team activity uh, that is worth noting, uh, putting a bow on the winter window of the transfer portal. But first, uh, we begin with some headlines from over the weekend, including some resolution to a story that we knew absolutely nothing about the last time we were together on Thursday. And frankly, in terms of actual details, I still don't really know much about it. But what we have is a little bit of closure because Michigan has fired co-offensive coordinator Matt Weiss amid an investigation by university police following, quote, report of computer access crimes. The incident allegedly took place in late December in Schembechler Hall, which is the team's football facility. We don't know what else there is, but the um, the news of him being dismissed also comes with a, a quote from the man himself. I am proud of the success we achieved over the last two seasons and grateful to all the Michigan players, coaches, and staff. The potential of Team 144, which I guess is... 2023 Wolverines knows no bounds. I have nothing but respect for the University of Michigan and the people who make it such a great place. I look forward to putting this matter behind me and returning my focus to the game I love. So I assume in terms of whatever actually uh, happened, it was more, um, it it was maybe not as nefarious and not as um, criminal maybe as when we thought about computer access crimes, having this wide range of potential because they wouldn't let him be offering this nice yay go blue statement right i just i just want to imagine he was like mining crypto to use to pay <laughs> players with for like nil and it's just doing it all sorts of through all the michigan's computers let's just go with that i have no idea what it was uh, yeah i i think to chip's point it you can probably cost like cross off things that are more immoral evil side of things which is the stuff we didn't want to speculate about and i'm glad we didn't on 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 last week's show because just computer crimes is very very uh nebulous so i yeah my only question here really is how does this impact the recruitment of jaden davis right Mm. michigan is thought to be like one of the major players for him he's like one of the three or four best quarterbacks that we've seen so far in the class of 2024 you know kid out of north carolina at providence day school He, he was at catawba ridge in South Carolina, um, you know, Michigan notably missed on a quarterback this last year, right? And uh, you know, UCLA got Dante Moore. So Davis is sort of the dude that their fan base has circled. And if we want to see them recruit better now that Harbaugh has uh, – I don't want to say turned down the NFL. More like the NFL has turned down Harbaugh is my read on the situation. You, you do want to see Michigan kind of cash in the job that it's done on the field with two consecutive Big Ten titles and – two consecutive playoff appearances into some more tangible benefits on the recruiting trail so that they can you know sustain that every single year Davis would be a big part of that so I'm I'm curious to see you know, whoever they they bring in will uh will impact that I mean are they going to bring anybody in does Sharon Moore now just get the solo OC job? He Sharon Moore, the offensive line coach, was co-OC with Matt Weiss. Matt Weiss is out. Someone has to take over, I guess, the quarterbacks, you know, side of this. Jim Harbaugh could do it himself. Um, what is it? What's what's the what's the spin forward here for Michigan? 
I, I don't know what the movie's going to be from this point. I mean, I think that Sharon Moore probably, there's a more than decent chance that he just kind of slides in as the, you know, sole offensive coordinator, but maybe to help make the job more attractive, you know, because you see staffs do this all the time. They give titles to guys that, you know, to help make the job more attractive, to warrant being able to move from another position to another so it's considered a promotion. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a co-OC title in the hire to replace Weiss. I don't know if they'll actually be the co-OC, but they're going to bring somebody in. They've got an opening on the staff. They've got plenty of money to pay the coach, so I'm sure someone's going to come in. I think, too, the relationship with the quarterbacks is is critical, right? I mean, it's an important position. I wouldn't want it to be Jim Harbaugh, even though Jim Harbaugh is great with quarterbacks. I wouldn't necessarily want to be with Sharon Moore. He's more of an offensive line guy. I think you need somebody to come in and handle your quarterbacks. There's got to be that go-between, you know, kind of just sounding board you can complain to and, you know, voice things to and kind of be your, you know, even if it's just implementing the system, but being your team psychologist in that quarterback room, it's a unique place. And especially for recruiting, you know, keeping all these guys happy, you know, and specifically with recruiting, that's where I think it's got to be a position they'll have to address sooner rather than later. So I'd be surprised if they didn't fill this with somebody who's, I mean, I don't even, it doesn't even have to be co-offensive coordinator, but I do think they have to have a quarterback's coach. There's been so much back and forth between the Harbaugh staffs at Michigan and Baltimore. Are you about to mention it? Greg Roman? Yep, the guy oh. who just just lost his job in Baltimore, but has <clears throat> time at Stanford and time with the 49ers. Successful time with the 49ers. With Harbaugh, yeah. With Harbaugh. No, I've I I I am I was gonna see if we were gonna get down that road at I am. I don't know Greg Roman. Do y'all know Greg Roman? Any like relationship out there? So he was uh, offensive line early in his NFL assistant career, and at Stanford, his title was technically like offensive tackles and tight ends coach. So I don't know if he's specifically answering the quarterback need that you would have right there, or if that even matters when you've been an offensive coordinator for so long that it's like, no, nah, you're. You can coach the quarterbacks just as well from about any position, but Greg Roman's availability sure seems convenient right now. He's done pretty well with quarterbacks at his stops, like Andrew Luck, Colin Kaepernick, Lamar Jackson. I think that he has some kind of relationship with them. Uh, Yeah, he'll be fine. Um, (laughs) I I don't think they'll try to do a Belichick and pull somebody from the defensive side of the ball to coach quarterbacks (laughs) or run the offense. So I think they'll be okay. Really make a good decision there. Oh Oh, yeah. Oh God, Bud. They they had. Matt Patricia come and be their offensive coordinator in New England this year. <laughs> wow. Like, I watch the games. I just don't follow the storylines on NFL stuff. So this, Okay. If you're wow. wondering why Mac Jones regressed horribly in his second <laughs> season as the quarterback of the New England Patriots, there you go. Yeah, it was awesome because, you know, we talk on this show a lot about the you have to be wary of the defensive coordinator as head coach. This was next level. What about the defensive <laughs> coordinator as the, the actual offensive coordinator? coordinator? It's always a really, really tricky spot. Uh, Second question, is there any chance that Jim Harbaugh is going to miss games in 2023? And if so, is it going to become over his stubbornness to admit to NCAA violations to NCAA investigators? Because right now, CBS Sports' Dennis Dodd and others are reporting that resolution talks between Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh and the NCAA have stalled after Harbaugh is refusing to admit to committing a level one violation that was alleged in the NCAA's notice of allegations. Uh, Some of the notice of allegations include uh, that Michigan held practices with too many coaches on the field, contacted two prospects during the COVID-19 dead period, and observed practices via an unauthorized video feed. Now, those are all level two violations, stuff that is not going to lead to Harbaugh missing any games. However, the NCAA alleges that Harbaugh initially lied about those violations and lying to the NCAA is a level one violation, which could lead to a suspension of up to six games and recruiting uh, restrictions. It's, it's not what you did. It's the lying. So as the NCAA plays real big mommy and daddy right here, just want to ask, is Harbaugh, is Harbaugh going to miss games because the NCAA is disappointed? First of all, how do we know that those cameras weren't there just to make sure that there weren't too many coaches coaching at practice? Huh? Maybe they were just policing <laughs> themselves. By the way, aren't they getting rid of that rule? What? Yeah, they're, they're, yes. Yeah, they're yeah, changing. They are. Yeah. So, so now we have to enforce it, the rule that we're about to get rid of. Okay. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it, so it's, it's kind of like Tennessee with the McDonald's stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, sloppy, yeah. but like now you can, you know, pay players. But I am, I, I think it's different. The, well, no, it's not different, but I'm not, I'm not a fan of going back and saying, well, he was breaking the rules, but since yeah. they're legal now, it doesn't matter. Um, but I do think he can miss the first four games and it wouldn't matter. I mean, it, oh, once again, their non-conference yes. is pretty toothless, so they'd be just fine without him. Um, they travel to Nebraska week five, so other than that. But I, th- that would be a wild story, though, Chip, if he does, if he is sidelined. And as a lot of people are pointing out, like, what can the NCAA really, really do? You know, or the Big Ten? Like, I, at some point, somebody's going to challenge him on these, aren't they? Well, I, I don't so, think it'd be Michigan, though. Michigan I, seems like I, so like NCAA bootlicker, just, you know, very yeah. like, oh, we love rules and, and that kind of stuff. But Penny I, maybe, Hardaway playing James Wiseman in the wake of an NCAA investigation where it's like, what? Come. I'm not going to like sit him. He's going to be out there and playing. That happening at Memphis is very different than it being the head coach of Michigan football at Michigan. I am not surprised at all in the way that the last several weeks have included us like picking apart all these Harbaugh statements. Like, so it's not a denial. Like, you know, well, he didn't totally commit. And I could just imagine Harbaugh being like, I didn't lie. You just right. don't understand Harbaugh. Just <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you don't, he just gave the NCAA so much word salad. And now he's just doing like, I'm sorry. I, I didn't remember correctly. So I, th- I, I misremembered. That, I misremembered. I'm going to say that uh, Jim Harbaugh is going to not be hit with a multiple game suspension as my official prediction. Uh, and I don't mean this in a mean spirited way, but it would be funny if he does end up getting suspended. And it's because the NCAA can't speak Harbaugh. I hope he's prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. There we go. We got to send a message. Can't have coaches out here buying burgers. Can't. It's just it sets a bad precedent. Somebody, oh man, I wish I'd pulled this up. Somebody said that he uh, he was with a recruit at a basketball game. Uh, I think they were playing Minnesota over the yeah weekend. this weekend. Mm-hmm. And you know what he was you know what he was doing at the basketball game? Having a burger. Having a burger. Damn straight. Love it. Trolling. Yeah. Trolling. Slow like burger commercial, just like mm-hmm. big slow bites. Whopper, Whopper, Wait. Junior Whopper. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, yeah, and like again, resolution talks normally. The school in the NCAA, we do, oh, we cooperated, so we get a lighter penalty, you know, just slap on the wrist type stuff. Also not surprising that uh, resolution talks have fallen through because of something related to Harbaugh's stubbornness. But uh, it's something to keep an eye on. And like Danny said, even if Harbaugh is sidelined, I don't know if it would greatly impact our uh, our outlook or our win total projections for the Michigan Wolverines in 2023. I will say we, we can't put it past him to get suspended just for being stubborn. I, right. You can't like you can't rule out. I don't think it'll happen, but you cannot rule that out entirely. And it's like if that's the case, I would probably just like, yeah, sure. Whatever I did. okay. here's you know, I'll go take a class on not buying burgers for kids. (laughs) Yeah, that's I mean, it it would not be um, on. It would not be unprecedented for, you know, what we have at the the major you know college athletics level. You just go and serve your time and then you then you come right back to the team. No big Mm -hmm. deal. He would definitely put on a disguise and try to coach from somewhere in the stadium. Like, how oh, that who was the guy? Was it Bobby, Bobby Valentine, Valentine on the Mets? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he, he takes up a residency at a, a local high school and we just get him out there and we just get to see him running the Michigan plays with the, with the high school team on Friday. And it's, there's some, some uh, possibility for antics for sure. No, no, right. no, no. He gets a job at a high school and then you just invite him to practice as the high school coach, as a guest. <laughs> then he can go to practice. There you go. Um, so, yeah, if you know the Bobby Valentine clip, you're probably pretty old. I do want to share something that made me feel extremely old this weekend. Uh, so I was out at the, the Battle 7-on-7, seven seven and uh, Meek's Dreams and Nightmares came on, which I think most of us probably know this. This, Yeah. And uh, the coaches for uh, this team in Texas were, were vibing, and the kids didn't know it. <laughs> Come okay. on. I'm like, when, when did this come out? Like th- this is like, October 30th, 2012. So, oh, I was like, going to say guess, 2013. All right. <sighs> what was the Eagles Super Bowl run, right? Wasn't that right. there? Yeah. Jeez, that was that long ago? Dude. They were yeah. watching Bluey or whatever at the time. They <laughs> like, the song. You guys. Yeah. So. Which you can't. No, you can watch uh, Blue, 
Blue's Clues was it at Blue's that time? Blue's Clues on, yeah. Par- on Paramount Plus. Yeah. And Blaze and the Monster Machines. I don't know what Blue is. Oh, you should. Uh, it's, it's I got I got Liam on Old School Ninja Turtles. Nice. Yeah. All right. The transfer portal window has opened and shut. So it's going to time to take a look back. What are some of the most significant transfers? What were some of the biggest surprises? The teams that did the best job of addressing needs and the teams that just saw whoosh, everybody go out the window. Our official Cover 3 podcast transfer portal window recap coming up next. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. So the transfer portal window opened on December 5th. And for 45 days, it was madness, chaos, bedlam, to let some tell it. But we also saw players seek out and find better situations for themselves. We saw teams address roster needs. And in some cases, the process of seeing what the options are before ultimately recommitting to your original team. It took less than two weeks for us to see more than 1,500 players enter their name into the transfer portal. But after all the sorting and musical chairs, the window for movement has come to a close. Now, there will be, as we've mentioned before, another window, but that will be a shorter window, only 15 days uh, from May 1st to May 15th. That is when a majority of programs will have concluded their spring practice. So, With the 45 days come and gone, uh, we want to take a look at some of the most impactful movement and some of the things that we need to keep our eye on as we turn our attention to 2023. So I wanted to open with a a more like, you know, player specific, but with bigger impact. What are some of the most or one of the most significant transfers from the window? Not all at once. As Uh, a singular player? Yeah, like a one move that you feel like was carries a, a large significance in terms of either their team, you know, that team within the conference. Um, oh, I think it's easy. I think Ooh. Sam Hartman, and I, I like. I want to make sure we're not just all quarterback heavy because I think there's some other really critical, you know, key uh, players that moved. But Sam Hartman in Notre Dame to me makes them a playoff contender like a team that you have to watch out for to make the playoffs i mean they're go- they and it felt last year marcus freeman i know there were two losses that are glaringly bad when you lose to marshall and you lose to stanford it's like how did that happen but stability at quarterback i think is going to bring them right to the forefront of everybody's mind i mean consider what they did to the two teams playing in the acc championship last last week i mean they're going to be physical the quarterback play was just a little bit too inconsistent and now you've got a veteran who comes in who's thrown more touchdowns than anybody in the history of the ACC. I think that, to me, is probably the the biggest singular name. I totally agree with Danny on that. Sorry, go ahead, Tom. No, go. No, I, I Look, it, it is quarterback because that position is just so much more important than the other ones, but I, I think it's fair to point out that like, we don't have a Caleb Williams-type transfer mm-hmm. in this year's class. Like, If you were a team, it's like, yeah, we're, we're just a quarterback away from a national title. I don't know that there is a singular quarterback in this transfer portal class that would take a, a good team and put them in that like legitimate national title conversation. Maybe it's Hartman if the Notre Dame receivers also step up, which was a big part. I, I know we had talked to you know coaches on staffs that had played Notre Dame. And they're like, yeah, these receivers ain't it, man. Like we're not scared of them. But quarterback was certainly an issue there too. I, I think getting Travis Hunter to actually go to Colorado when, when it's clear that other schools wanted him. Uh, what was a major get for Dion? So I'll I'll go ahead and go with Travis Hunter to Colorado because I, I mean on Colorado's roster you could play him both ways. That's not a very good roster yet, and mm-hmm. I don't know that they will play him both ways. At Jackson State, you could easily do it because I mean the SWAC is a bad FCS league, right? Like it's FCS and it's like one of the worst FCS leagues. So he can go out and dominate both sides. I still think you should use him at receiver some too. That might actually be his best position. He might be your best receiver already on the roster, honestly. I would be shocked if Colorado had a better receiver talent-wise than Travis. Yeah, yeah. I'm with Danny on Hartman for sure. 
Like, I think that is one of the biggest ones because I do think that, like you were saying, but there's, there's aren't many Caleb Williamses. There aren't a lot of transfers out there that are going to take a team and turn them into a title contender. But I think that is probably the closest one we have. And like, mm-hmm. you were also like, I do have concerns about Notre Dame's receiver spot, but I do think that with Sam Hartman, they are going to be a much more dangerous team in 2023 than they were in 2022. Uh, another quarterback. This one's kind of off the radar a little bit in that. It's not like one of the top talents that was available in the portal, but I think just as far as importance, Tanner Mordecai yeah. Wisconsin. Because yes. yeah, like getting you or, or not yours, um, Evers is good because he's a talented player, but he doesn't have any experience. So it's like you don't really know what you're getting. So getting Mordecai to come to Wisconsin in what is going to be a brand new offense with a lot of new players to have somebody just with that experience and that ability and kind of familiarity with maybe not the same exact offense, but a lot of the same concepts. I think that will be huge for Wisconsin next year. I don't think he's going to come in and be like Russell Wilson was for the Badgers the year he transferred in there as a grad transfer. But I do think that he's at least going to give them a decent floor and a team that can compete in the West and maybe, you know, compete for the division title. So I think that was critical. I think that's one of the bigger pickups for anybody. Mordecai uh, was on my list. Hart- Hartman is the closest thing we have to like a, a QB one, and he lands at Notre Dame when you've been looking for uh, to field a dynamic passing attack here for a couple seasons. But Mordecai had 39 touchdowns in 2021, 33 touchdowns in 2022. Evers is a good talent, but you want to talk about bringing in Phil Longo and doing a real philosophical shift in terms of what you want to be as a Wisconsin offense. The fact that you were able to bring in that proven experience and the production of Mordecai. I think is huge. And when you look at the Big Ten West and what it's going to be like for Luke Fickle in year one, that's like that is the reason to buy hype. Like the the addition of Tanner Mordecai and the philosophical shift in terms of what you're going to do um, with your offense like that. That one feels like it shifts, not the very, very top of the Big Ten. If you stack them all up one through 14, but we still got divisions in the Big Ten, right? We, we haven't gone divisionless yet. There still is a ticket out there for a team in the Big Ten West to be able to make it to the Big Ten Conference Championship game. And uh, I think that that addition is absolutely huge. I had Sam Hartman on my list. So a little bit uh, less of, you know, it's not the quarterback. Of all the additions that Florida State had, and I know that Florida State's been very active in the transfer portal. They've got one of the better transfer portal classes. I like Jaheim Bell as the, the one that stands out to me. Because when I'm thinking about the the Florida State offense as it's evolved under Mike Norvell and as it runs with Jordan Travis, having those versatile weapons that you can move around on the field feels really significant. And Bell is a dude uh, who I think has only gotten better throughout his career. So I wanted I put him on the list. And then also DJU to Oregon State. I mean, at one time, DJ Uyunglele was looking like a, a man who's going to be competing for a Heisman Trophy, and now he gets a fresh slate at a good program that's in a healthy spot with a good head coach. I I don't know if it's going to take Oregon State to the very top of the Pac-12, but for player and for program, it feels like that one was has a, a lot of potential for sure. Totally agree. I, they've really killed the transfer portal. I, I know I, I don't want to jump ahead and talk teams yet, but I, tight end was definitely a weakness for the Knowles this year. And you're bringing in Bell and Kyle Morlock. One, Norvell almost always schemes guys wide open somehow, and pretty much has done so everywhere he's been. Uh, but red zone was an issue for them; they were not as efficient as, as a red zone touchdown team. So I think you know getting two better tight ends in that room can help quite a bit. And there, there's a lot of young guys on that team they like. They're just they're more like 24, 25 impact type dudes that they were not going to be ready to be good players in 23. I think so. It, it's huge developmentally as well. What about what we can we can stick quarterbacks on this? What about Devin Leary at Kentucky? He didn't make my list for most significant, but what's what's the outlook there? Because I think Kentucky celebrates it, right? As it's, they should. Yeah, like, yeah. Did you see the backup up, play this year against South Carolina? <laughs> you can't play. Yeah, like they they picked up a good quarterback. It's just they have a guy who might go number one overall in the draft. So like, no matter what you think about Will Levis as an NFL prospect, they had a guy who apparently is pretty talented at QB this year, and it didn't really do a whole lot for them. So 
I don't know if Devin Leary is an actual upgrade over Levis. I think he's definitely an upgrade over what they had available. So it's hard for me. I, I It's going to be really interesting. I think, honestly, the bigger thing for me with Kentucky this offseason is Cohen coming back because I think that will be better for that offense. And also, has Kentucky done anything to address that line? Because, again, that was a very bad offensive line this year. I do think that the if you're excited about Devin Leary as a Kentucky fan, you're excited about Devin Leary plus the combo of the new play caller, right? Who is mm-hmm. the old play caller. But the hires they made last year, obviously like losing the offensive line coach to Alabama was a major blow. I, I think Bama's very happy with him. Uh, the new offensive coordinator they brought in didn't work out. And they, if you're a Kentucky fan, you're probably annoyed that you wasted a year of Will Levis. Like you did not reach that next level as a team that you wanted to get to. Uh, but I, I think it's it's Leary plus Cohen that has you excited. And as we'll talk about upcoming, if you look at who you guys have as your losers team-wise, there are some opportunities here for Kentucky to pick up some dubs in the SEC East. Mm. What do about – Do you really think Will Levis could go number one? I don't want to sidetrack. I do. Oh, sidetrack. Yeah, tools-wise. And yes. his betting odds have been plummeting. I really think well, there's a legitimate shot. Like, I just look at – I, th- I look at teams I know are in the market for a QB, and if like think about like the Colts and the kind of QBs that they've drafted physically, do they seem like they're more likely to take a Bryce Young or a Will Levis? Right. Uh, to Tom's point, like the easy path I think for him to go number one is Levis has a huge pro day, which he will. He throw mm-hmm. he'll throw the ball from one end of the indoor practice facility to another. Bryce Young measures in at something that doesn't start with the six, which is certainly possible. Yep. Right. And you know maybe they get him up to 200 pounds by combine time. Maybe they don't. But the NFL would look like, gosh, like I know Kyler Murray, but that guy, that's a guy who's a little more mobile than Bryce is. Can we really take Bryce number one overall? Which I think Bryce can be good. So that's them, not me. And then it's like, do you really want C.J. Stroud with the number one overall pick? I wouldn't hate it, but I think NFL people disagree some. So then, hey, Levis, Josh Allen, compare, compare. Okay. No, well, I'll lose to Joe Burrow anyway. Snow Burrow. <laughs> Shout out to Kofi. <laughs> to, to deliver just, just right. It was right there. I watched, watched the whole daggum game. You know, I, I didn't even think of it. Uh, yeah, ph- phenomenal performance there uh, from Burrow and the Bengals. All right, what about <clears throat> you? Just mentioned teams. So let's let's go oh, there. I got, I got one more player I wanted to mention. I'm sorry. Just not not a big name, but again, a guy I think I saw sometimes watching his team play, who I think is going to be a perfect fit in his new home, could have a big year. J. Michael Sturdivant from Cal to UCLA. I just think he's the perfect kind of player for a Chip Kelly offense. I think he had 755 yards and seven touchdowns with the Bears, and you think about that offense; <laughs> those are pretty good numbers to be putting up in an offense like that. That was pretty stodgy for the most part. So, him going to UCLA along with maybe. a We'll mention this as a team. Some of the other pieces that they have picked up in the portal, I think, is going to be a pretty big get for the Bruins next year. Well, let's start there with teams because the the rest of the you know UCLA transfer hall as it stands right now, uh, you went out and you got uh, a quarterback from Kent State in Colin Schley. You got one of the. I mean, you just raided the MAC. Basically, it's like I'll take one of your best quarterbacks. I'll take one of your best uh, running backs in Carson Steele. Uh, you mentioned uh, bringing in uh, Jay Michael. So well, UCLA's class officially in the twenty four seven Sports transfer team rankings checks in at number seven. There's eleven there. What else? Sta- what stands out, or what are the big pieces that you like about what Chip Kelly has done in the portal in this offseason? I just think that if you look at the guys he's gotten, and it's somewhat along the lines of the way that Chip Kelly always kind of approached things for the most part when it comes to recruiting, like even at Oregon, their classes were never incredible. He was just finding guys who fit what he wanted and what he'd like to do. And I think that's basically what he did in the portal. I think Sturdivant, like I just said, is a guy, as far as receivers go, is going to fit perfectly with what he wants to do. I think Carson Steele is a guy that's a lot like Zach Charbonnet and is going to be able to fit a lot of what he wants to do in the run game. I think Schley gives them a good option if Dante Moore doesn't win that starting job. I think you're still pretty comfortable with Schley, who does a lot of the things that Chip Kelly likes from his quarterbacks to do. So it's not the kind of transfer class where it's like, wow, they're getting all these former five stars and they're taking this guy from there. It's just, it's like, oh no, these are guys who are probably just going to be plug and play in Chip Kelly's offense and it's going to be fine. So totally agree. Like you you go out and get Kyle Ford as a good possession guy. Sturdivant can be more your deep threat. I like what they got at safety. 
They still probably need a corner, I would say, for this team, which we'll see if somebody pops in there in the portal. But I also like the linebacker pickup they got from Cal, who's, who's mm. one of their their lower, like lower rated kids in the class. But he's an eighty nine, so you know, almost a four star. Uh, I'm going to botch this kid's name, but I know they're they're very excited about him in Westwood. Oluafimi Oladejo, I, I, I think I nailed it there. Uh, they played Cal in the last game of the, of the season. I think that was that rescheduled vid game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he had 18 tackles against them. This is a guy who's kind of newer to football, hasn't played a ton, is really coming into his own. Big body, can be an edge guy for them if they had to, you know, stand-up edge type. I, I totally agree with Tom. Like, I, I have UCLA as, as one of the best transfer classes out there, and I – I think they should be mentioned as a Pac-12 contender, just like the other ones should be. Honestly. Yeah, like the the University. I don't think Robinson's that big of a loss at quarterback either. Like he played poorly down the stretch. The University of California school system is charging UCLA a Big Ten tax from this point on. So UCLA is saying, "Okay, well, we're going to give you this money, but we're going to take all your players." <laughs> <laughs> Any what team stood out to you? Uh, I'll go Colorado for when we talked a little bit about them, but you got a quarterback in Shador coming. You got Travis Hunter, maybe the most talented player. And I think you guys totally hit on the great point about the fact he can go both ways. I think he will. I mean, the way they did it with Jackson State was when necessary. You know, they put him in situationally. I think that might be more frequent than not. And considering Dion liked to get his hands on the ball too, I think he completely understands it. Cavassier Smoke, I saw that name pop up. I had forgotten he's going there as well. I mean, I think we forget how good he was that 2019 season when Kentucky was all the rage. Um, And the sheer number of him, 23 guys coming in. To me, that's what you need. You need a complete overhaul of that roster. So, and I think nine, three stars, like those are good players that you're getting that are instant upgrades across most of those positions. I think you've got to be excited. I know it's going to be one of these ones where it's going to we're going to get sick of talking about Colorado, but I think you, when you look at the yeah we won't get that sick talking about. But when you look at like grading out like uh, you know coaches, I think you got to give him an A considering who he got, and then you got to go to the transfer portal. I think you have to give him an A considering what he got. Like he's checked a lot of the boxes, which should set them up for success. Now it's just a matter of what does success look like, and we can you know talk about that when we get closer to the season. There's a couple other guys in that class I like too from a pass catching standpoint. So Treyor, the, the the tight end they got from Arkansas State, is is a really a pretty good player. Like I was very down in Arkansas State this year, but he was one of the few dudes along with the I forgot the kid's name. They had a corner in Arkansas State who was pretty good too. But the tight end for for Dion there, at Colorado is nice. And Jimmy Horn from USF is another really nice get for them. Horn Horn has some real juice to him. He'll be a guy that I think you know will make an NFL roster because of his speed and, and athleticism at some point that offense is going to put speed in space, right? Sean Lewis, former Kent state head coach is, is, is going to run. I assume that, uh, you know, uh, veer and shoot stuff that they were running, you know, at, at Kent state and Tennessee and elsewhere. So I think they've done a really nice job. Now lines of scrimmage, they need work. It's tough. Yeah. Right. They lost Casey Roddick, who was their best offensive lineman to the Knowles. And they got Savion Washington from Kent State, who I think is a pretty good get, and certainly Sean Lewis has seen him, right? So I do think that coaches who take players from their former schools, the track record on those guys hitting is really pretty high. I, I, so I, especially with quarterback, but I think offensive tackle could, you know, could work as well. But I mean, lines of scrimmage need to be improved there at Colorado, and it's hard to get a lot of impact guys there because everybody wants them, right? There's play the the playing time thing is is one thing when you're getting some of these former power five bounce back types. When you got to go get line of scrimmage guys, that's different. I also think it's notable. I mean, they took what 20, 21 transfers. How many? Twenty three. I was going to ask if that was if that's unprecedented. Like, uh, I, yeah, I mean, like Texas State a couple of years ago took a class that was only transfers, but that was in uh, in the new coach's first year, like Dion's doing which is nice because it gives you actually control over the players. These guys can't transfer out again unless they get a waiver or unless they graduate. So it does give you some roster stability in a way uh, there. But um, it's also notable, like Colorado seems to be changing a lot of things, right? The old, the last staff wasn't allowed to take transfers, not many at least. They, they would submit a, a large, list of guys, large list of guys they wanted, and the school basically told them no. And now they're taking 23. So – we may have to re- reevaluate how serious Colorado is about football in, in, in a way that's probably positive for Colorado fans. Arizona State, by the way, has 26. 
coming in. Just they just that. lack that, that real faces. top end Splash. name grabber. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kenny Dillingham <clears throat> rebuilding that rock. And to be fair, the state of that locker room, like probably needs some turnover given the yes. way that things ended with the previous staff. So from a, Oh, here I go again, talking about culture. From a culture standpoint, you do need to get uh, a little bit of an infusion of, uh, of new personalities, for sure. I mean, Drew Pine is their fourth highest rated transfer at Arizona State. So to your point, a lot of it is just like we need warm bodies that have played some college football in this thing because Arizona State did such a bad job recruiting the last two years under Herm. Right. Um, Georgia... We talked about it. Um, we've talked about it a couple of times, obviously, as the two time reigning national champions are a popular uh, topic across college football. And this was at one time a Georgia podcast, whether we have recommitted ourselves to the Bulldogs, TBD. You know, we got we got it. We got a whoa, couple whoa, of whoa. I never left. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you guys wandered. I never left. I wavered. I, I 100% wavered, but I, I will always have that fond season uh, in my heart. So, they took uh, Dominic Lovett, one of the top wide receivers in the SEC from Missouri. They also took Ra Ra Thomas from Mississippi State, the top wide receiver there. Dominic Lovett sure seems more significant now as uh, reports on Monday morning of a, a domestic violence uh, charge and arrest for Ra Ra Thomas. Uh, he was booked into the county jail um, early Monday morning. I've got no details on the arrest. If his playing time is at all jeopardized, then having love it there is significant. Remember, A.D. Mitchell entered the transfer portal uh, late in the cycle and made his commitment to Texas. Uh, Yet another Alabama and or Georgia talent making their way to the Longhorns. Uh, We'll We'll see how that works out for Mitchell. Uh, there's a lot of balls that are that are available, a lot more catches, certainly, in that Texas offense with Quinn Ewers and or Arch Manning. But for Georgia, pretty significant that they were uh, they were willing to go out there and bring in some more pass catchers. I thought that was a good, you know, you you don't have many needs on a Georgia football roster. But when you do, you're able to go out and address it. So I thought the Bulldogs did a good job there, especially having Lovett on board if uh, if Thomas is in any, any kind of legal trouble. 100%. I mean, Lovett was the leading receiver in the SEC, at, at least mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of the regular season. That's huge. I think that they probably knew that there was a, a good chance they would lose A.D. Mitchell and you know Texas USC being the two main threats there, or, or so we had thought you know, just in, in, in the transfer chat. Uh We'll see what happens with Thomas, like like you said, the felony, uh, false imprisonment, or whatever. We'll we'll see. Like I don't know if Georgia has a like if you have a felony, you can't play policy, but it also says first offense. So who knows? Maybe that gets played down uh, or just thrown out. Don't know. Uh, but I think there's a larger point here. If you are trying to win the national title, you probably shouldn't have room to take ten to twelve transfers. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it, like that says you have more misses on your roster developmentally than you probably should. Georgia doesn't have room for 10 to 12 transfers. They hit on like they sign the very best players out of high school. They develop them. They do a really good job. And then when they don't, when they occasionally miss, they go to the portal. They took two here. They took zero last year. Would they take two? I think the year prior, maybe I, I'd have to go back and look. Um, this to me tells me how healthy Georgia's roster is or how healthy Georgia believes its roster is because they're not taking in a bunch of transfers because most of the guys in the transfer portal can't play at Georgia. You're doing such a good job that you're like, eh, don't really need this kid. This kid can't play here. They have a different level of roster than probably all but three or four teams out there. So is it an unhealthy, is it still residual coaching change? that you can attribute LSU taking 11 players from the portal in this cycle? Because they were among, uh, it was USC, Ole Miss, and LSU all had in excess of, I think, 15, 16, 17 guys in last year's portal cycle. LSU has 11 commits in its portal class. By the way, it is, it's ranked number one in the 24-7 uh, you know, college football team rankings, transfer football team rankings, uh, highest rated prospects along the offensive line. You also built out with the edge, with Deshaun Womack. So, is LSU st- an unhealthy roster, or is that still residual from the coaching change with Brian Kelly taking over? I think a good part of that is residual, right? I mean, like you're they're also the last two years under Orgeron were, were a mess, <laughs> right? 
Yeah. So some of that is is going to factor into kids leaving the program and, and having some low roster numbers. I, I, I think the point you made there is really good. Like, I would attack the portal pretty heavily early on in my coaching tenure. If you're still having to do it you know, in year five, year six and stuff, that's – if you're relying on it every single year, it's a little bit concerning. But uh, LSU's roster is not where Georgia's is. They're just not. Georgia's a different level thing. I mean, I'm talking about most of these teams can use the portal effectively. Like the top five or so teams in the country, probably not. Not yeah. not, not in volume. If you just compare the situations, it's like it's not just that Georgia's roster is so good that there's really no room for dudes to want to transfer in because it's like, well, I probably won't play. I'm not good enough. But it's also just there's stability there. There has been stability on that coaching staff and on that roster for the last however many years. Kirby's been there for a while, and they've just got what they have in place, and it's working. LSU has not been stable at all. So there's going to be that – when you're churning your coaching staff, you're going to be churning the roster now too, especially because just with the transfer portal, with guys not having to sit out a year, this is just commonplace. And I think that – the roster had talent when Brian Kelly got there, but it was a lot of guys leaving, a lot of guys coming in. Brian Kelly's got to bring in players that are fitting what he wants to do compared to what the players were there were doing. And I think if you look at the talent LSU's brought in, he's upgrading the talent level. Like last year's team, I think, overperformed what it was. And that's a good sign going forward for just for Brian Kelly as a coach who I think has been one of the more underrated coaches in the country for a while now. He's bringing in more talent. Like I don't think LSU is going to be winning the SEC next year, but I think LSU is going to be better next year than it was this year, and it was pretty good this year. You got to consider too. It's not just about talent. Who has the most four or five stars? Guy who has the highest rated. A lot of it's about fit and personality and getting. You know, hey, like it's, especially when you're dealing with coach and turnover. Like I'm sure there's players that at LSU were like, well, let me see what Brian Kelly's going to be like. And some of them bought in and some of them are like, ah, this isn't for me. This isn't what I signed up for. So there's going to be a process of kind of weeding and sifting through the guys that really want to be there and the guys that don't. And now you get to go out there and you get to sell the transfers, the guys that are coming in on, hey, this is what I am. This is what I'm going to be. And are you buying in or not? So who who got uh, who's on the other end of this? What, what were the teams that just saw it bleed out? Oh, I think we know who they are. There's uh, sticking in the SEC. I think it's hard to argue that Arkansas and South Carolina won the transfer wars this offseason. Then, if you want to go to the Big 12, I think Oklahoma State pretty much losing everybody. Yep. Is probably not good for business. Yeah. I, so, totally agree on, on those. South Carolina was interesting. So, they lost Jaheim Bell to Florida State, they lost Jordan Birch to Oregon. They did get Trey Knox from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost Marshawn mm-hmm. Lloyd, the back, to USC. They lost Gilbert Edmond, starting D-Lyman, to Florida State. Uh, they got Josh Simon from Western Kentucky. He, you know, not a bad receiver to come in there. Austin Stogner went back to Oklahoma, uh, which is interesting because he came with Rattler, right? Mm-hmm. And then I don't think they got, got anybody else that were like impact guys. So that's a net – Marshawn Lloyd was that offense for some before games. Before he went down. Yeah. 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 It, I'm not saying South Carolina cannot take a step forward next year because it's very early still. I would be surprised if they took a substantial step forward from where they have been, though, losing that. that, that that's a lot to lose. But I will say most of those dudes, or maybe all those dudes who were high school signees, I think were must-champ signees. So at least it's not Beamer's guys transferring mm-hmm. out. But they are some of the very best players on that roster. So that that is worth noting. Yeah, it's not like a red flag kind of locker room upheaval. It's just it's like, ooh, it's going to be hard to replace those guys. But that might – red flag is uh, Oklahoma State and Arkansas. Yeah, Oklahoma State for players sure. Yeah. I, yeah. Position I say, groups leaving. <laughs> uh, Florida is one to watch here on, on this list. Not not overall, but just at one position in particular, right? So they lost Michael Tarquin to USC. Ethan White could go to USC. And Josh Braun went to Arkansas. Now, that's like 1.5 starters projected coming back. And, and obviously, like... You You're know, talking 1. about 5. the offensive line, by the yes. way. Yes. That but is the here's, that he's talking about. Here's why this matters more. Cam Waits blew his Achilles on Friday. So now, like Florida lost two guys to the draft in Gory Age and uh, 
Torrance. The huge guard. Right. They just lost definitely two more starters to the portal and a key backup. And now they lost a projected starter in weights. Like offensive line was Florida's mm. best position last year and probably by a lot. Like that was a good O line. And now, I mean, that's very much, I like the barber kid, but that's kind of a rebuild there. So overall transfer portal, I can't say it's a huge negative for them at that one position. I definitely think it is. Uh, the end of the uh, Virginia football season was tragic and like incredibly sad. And so like, I almost feel bad, but we have to note that some of the best players from that Virginia roster also left. Mm-hmm. And so Tony Elliott's dealing with a major downgrade in the defensive backfield. Uh, you lost one of the most prolific quarterbacks that you had. I know he didn't have a very good season this year, but Brennan Armstrong goes to NC state uh, to somebody else that's in your conference. Uh, Fentrell Cypress goes to Florida state, somebody else that's in your conference. Um, not overwhelming in terms of the number of players leaving. So it's not like showing any, um, you know, any concerns about the overall condition of the, the Tony Elliott regime, but for Tony Elliott going into year two, very disappointing to not have those players on the roster. All but one of those play offense. I don't think Tony Elliott hired a good offensive staff. The results before the shooting were horrible. So the, uh, anybody out of there too. If I, if I was Brendan Armstrong, like, there's no way I'm signing up for that again. Oh, and uh, on the Florida note, too, like it, Graham Mertz, you've been playing behind Wisconsin offensive lines. Woo, oh, right. boy. Let's utilize that athleticism. When you were in Overland Park, Kansas, out there scooting around, letting everybody know how you could throw on the move, get used to it, my friend, because you might be doing it on Saturdays in the SEC playing behind this offensive line. Um, Kent State. Got crushed in the portal. Yeah. By the yeah. Way. So. Oh, Dante not, Cephas. We didn't mention that. That's huge for Penn State. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, Cephas is going to Penn State. We already mentioned Schley to UCLA. Devontae Walker went to North Carolina. Uh, Montero Miller went to West Virginia. Shout out Coca. Um, and your oh, coach shoot. went to Colorado. Right. Uh, Jay Sean Polk was like their third receiver. He went. To, he went to the Mountaineers as well. And then I already mentioned that that Colorado took their tackle. So. Uh, Kansas State historically is one of the very very worst teams in the MAC, and they did not cash in their chips this year. Uh, they had some tough games. They also had a couple of injuries, right? And uh, that's a smoking crater. Good luck to Cody Burns as the head coach there. Um, also, thanks to the chat. Good news as of the last uh, day or so. Virginia's wide receiver coach, huge part of you know the recruiting operation and a huge part of that program. Uh, Marquise Hagens just left to go to Penn State. So another offensive, yeah, another offensive setback uh, for the Wahoos right there. Uh, any other individual moves or teams or anything else that you want to uh, spotlight before we get to just sort of a, a review of how we think it went? A couple that we need to talk about or we will probably get yelled at by the chat or just roasted in the comments. We already made a YouTube short about this, so we were not ignoring Florida State, but obviously they did a really good job. The buyer's kid they got, I think, might be the best transfer they took, and uh, they're going to be very happy with Daryl Jackson as well from the early returns on that. Auburn? It, can, can I do one follow-up question for Florida yeah. State real quick, especially for y'all? When does it tip? Because I, I believe it is interesting to look at how Mike Norvell has utilized the transfer portal to be able to build this up. But when do you want to see it be more of like high level high school recruiting prowess and then a little bit less portal instant impact? Are we closing in on sort of crossing over that line? Yeah, it, they better. I mean, if they want to take that step from being like a team that is going to be in play for the ACC or a team that's going to be in play to, to win it all, like that's the real gap you got to bridge here. This team could win the ACC. The way that they're, they're recruiting could win the ACC. Can they win a national title relying on the portal this heavily? I don't think so, based on the quality of player I've seen in the portal. And this year's portal is not as good as last year's, by the way. Like it actually, it's less talented overall, I think, on the very high end than it was last year. Now, it also depends on how much you like this class. Like they may or may not like the 2024 high school class as much as as maybe they do 25. But whether you take 15 high schoolers or 25 high schoolers, you damn sure better be getting a lot of those top hundred kids, you know, a lot, lot of five stars, especially if you go low volume on it. So, I mean, like, look, man, their junior days last year sucked. 
their elite camp was anything but elite because they were coming off back-to-back losing seasons. Now, we had said on the show, Norvell's not getting fired, bar- like barring something disastrous. But they definitely didn't have any juice with kids last year. This year, I will tell you, like they have a lot more juice with some of the top kids because they're not coming off back-to-back embarrassing seasons, right? They they won 10 ball games, So we'll see if this staff is good enough of a recruiting staff to cash that in. I don't know yet. I think they are. I think I think they'll be fine. I think exactly what you're talking about, but they needed to create some momentum so they are relevant for the younger player, not just hungry, you know, guys that didn't play at Georgia or that were all out stars at uh Albany. Albany. Yeah. Like they need to be able to go out there and be in the mix for the top five star, top one hundred players where, hey, every list is Bama, Georgia, Florida State you know, is on that, in that mix, in that conversation. Because I do feel like once those players start giving Mike Norvell and the staff and getting on campus for some of those big games, they'll start getting a legit look. But they got to carry on this momentum that they built this year. Nolcast. No, that's an actual name of a podcast. That's, <laughs> that is true. I was going to say, the last the last 10 minutes has been crapping on Florida's offensive line and talking about how great Florida State is. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, when I saw the Waits news, I was like, oh, my gosh, poor Graham Mertz. Like, this is not, not bueno. Putting um, on my glitter. Here we go. <laughs> we we got to hit Auburn, too. Oh, uh, yeah. 13 players. Rebuilding the, off, like the offensive and defensive lines, very important there. So you get Justin Rogers from Kentucky. I think he's a guy that has a lot of upside. You get Avery Jones, who they flipped from some Big Ten school. I'm trying to remember here. Um, he was committed. Was it Wisconsin? Illinois. Illinois. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Sorry, Tom. No. No. Wait, were you setting that up? As yeah. A oh, yeah. No, I, yeah I, I just, I just hey, deadpanned it. I wasn't taking the bait, Chip. I was taking it. He's a, he's a pretty nice center from East Carolina. They, they get Dylan Wade, who I like a lot from Tulsa. He's, he's a pretty good offensive lineman. Tackle at Tulsa, maybe a tackle for them. I don't know. Maybe plays guard. Uh, Fairweather, the, the FIU tight end. There's some decent guys here that Auburn picked up. Like Auburn should be a lot better than they were last year, and they got they got a lot of beef. I have reasonable confidence if he frees to scheme guys open like he does pretty uh, much everywhere. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Is the Pony Express back? They're a top I, I, six. They're SMU is at six. So like they're the highest. Mm-hmm. Group of five Gold teams. The I know they have a collective with yes. thirty-eight thousand per player on the roster, which clearly is having impact in here. But this was kind of that idea that we thought NIL could bring to the forefront if there was a school that had the desire to get in the mix and they had wallets that were big enough, they could. And it sure seems like in the portal, SMU kind of stands out as one of those teams that's getting some pretty high caliber player. They've got a deal for every player. I forgot that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think Which, it's thirty-eight grand, like flat. It's a decent amount. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting too. Like, is that a good use of funds? No, I, I, I no, like, like the bottom thirty kids spend, on your roster. Right, are no. worth zero, man. Like for right. the most part, they're they're not <laughs> worthless. But I hear calling them kids worthless. <laughs> well, well, that's a good like, culture. Zero dollars above culture. scholarship. Yeah, yeah. I well, it's happy players. They're all happy, except maybe the quarterback or the guy who's not making what he should be making. <laughs> but maybe he is. Maybe there's a base, and then you have the other guys that are making a lot more. It I seems do like think a gimmick too, that's almost like advertising. You know, right. like you're just trying mm-hmm. to raise the overall profile of your program with that kind of thing. He went and got a lot of dude. Lashley uh, went and got a lot of dudes from Miami when he was the OC at Miami. They got Jalen Knighton. They got Keyshawn Smith. They got Jordan Miller, who was a defensive player. On the Canes roster, you got Elijah Roberts. Uh, you know, we'll see if some of those guys can fit in the Big Twelve. But that's that's a roster that needs to get a lot better to be competitive in the Big Twelve. I mean, defensively, SMU's they not were going to the Big Twelve. That's not going to the Big Twelve. Yeah, they're going to dominate the AAC. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Buddy. Well, why don't I think they're going to the Big Twelve? Oh, they, they missed the Big, Big Twelve. My bad. School. Yeah, Houston, I was arguing yeah. with somebody about this. Yeah, it's UCF, Houston, and um, wait, BYU. No, no, no. no. Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah. UCF, Houston, Cincinnati from the AAC, BYU. I think think we know what the next game show is going to be. I'm going to drill chip on who's joining who this (laughs) offseason. Legitimately a a very fun game that you could play with people. All right. Um, Last last thing before we get out of here, just open-ended. Like, Do you think the transfer portal, as it is set up and currently constructed, do you think it's working? Do you think it's making college football better? 
Better is such a nebulous word and concept. But I think that I like having the transfer portal the way it works where there are windows. I think that is good. I think we should reevaluate when those windows are. If to both to make lives a little easier on coaching staffs and on players, and also just for content purposes, kind of like having like every major professional sport has a free agency period that helps keep the news churning every single off season being we've talked about this a little bit already, but kind of separating the transfer window from recruiting from all that kind of stuff, giving us something going on at all times during the year, I think is a concept that college should probably follow. And I think that is something that would be more likely to happen. Should the NCAA go away and the leagues kind of, you know, start working with themselves on it. I think it's complete BS that we have these transfer portal windows. I think it should be on the staffs to keep these players happy. And I'll give you an example. So TCU waits until the day after the transfer portal window closes to announce Kendall Bryles. That screws those kids in Arkansas who maybe don't want to play for Dan Enos, right? Maybe they wanted to play under Kendall Bryles, and now they, they're not going to be able to go somewhere and have a spring, but the coaches can do it. Like, why, why are we not having a coaching transfer window when we have a player transfer window? Like, this is... That's really BS. And if I'm an Arkansas like offense, and maybe I don't like this new guy, I'm kind of pissed, right? We like, know that that was TCU who did that, or maybe Arkansas, or maybe Arkansas asked him not not, yeah. not to not to go in, until at, after the window. Like we see a lot of this happen, man. There's there's been a surprising amount of coaching changes uh, happen in the last 72 hours once the window has closed. Overall, I think it's been a good thing. Overall, it needs to be overhauled. <laughs> Like there still needs to be some sort. There has to be some structure to it. So I actually like the windows. Um, I also think that we've got like at some point, can we go like if and we got to stop tampering? Like if there's a way to enforce that, I think that's one thing that's necessary. But I think if you had teams that were committed to transfers for longer than a year, you might see some of the movement slow down. So like. It might sound counterintuitive, but like for the players that and the coaches, the deals that are in place, I'd like to see them multiple years where it was two years required to stay. Like you can get free movement, you get a free pass, but I don't, I don't know about the graduate. Like it's just, it's too much right now, too much freedom of movement. I would love to see if they get put on contracts, right? Yeah. Like that's what that, I would look for too. That, that's really the thing is if, if you get on contracts then you can't move. Right. right, you're you're green to stay. Or if you do, you, you get traded or you get bought out, just like the coaches do. <laughs> right, that's exactly. what we need. The trade deadline. Yes, the portal window is incredible for content. Yes. Yeah. yeah. If we had it going twelve months, it wouldn't. We wouldn't be able to pique the interest. Right. I. This is long term, kind of, but I do wonder how it'll impact high school football in the long run. Just the way right. teams are recruiting from high school. I agree with this to a certain extent. However, I will say this. We still have two more years of the nonsense that the NCAA pulled because they wanted to win the PR battle. So they're like, all yeah. right, we're give everybody a free year who was on a roster in, in 2020 for COVID, right? Because they were worried that kids were like, hey, there's a good chance my team only plays three or four ball games. I'm not going to waste a year of eligibility on this. So the NCAA said, all right, everybody gets a free year. Problem is they did not go from 85 to like 95 or whatever in terms of increasing the roster size. The NCAA, which is made up of its member schools, the schools didn't really want to pay for this, but they did want to make sure the players played in 2020 and they wanted to win the PR battle. You still have a tremendous glut of players in the portal who are primarily dudes, we call them super seniors, right? They got that extra bonus COVID year. We really have two more years of filtering these guys out before we're able to see the actual impact of the transfer portal on high school recruiting. Right, it, it, like the 2025 class will probably be the first year we have actual data on that, mm. and so we're going to try to draw conclusions now based on some really imperfect data. Yeah, I I don't know anything about economics, but it sounds like when you just release all these um, extra, I mean, you just like print money, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. we're just like feed it into the ecosystem, and we haven't made any adjustments to it. Then that's where uh, some of that pain comes from. So good. Good point there. Before we really understand that, we're going to need to have a a few more cycles under our belt. And they say we're a libcast. 
We will be back on Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Three of the final four teams in the NFL playoffs are the same three of the final four teams that were in the playoffs last year. Clearly, the NFL needs to expand the playoffs. 